Hey, yo, 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 what's up, hangry and horny people? This show is sponsored by F-Bomb Nut Butters. Fat is smart fuel. It's literally true, because our brain and our nerves are made out of fat. And what better way to get nice, clean fuel, smart fat fuel, through F-Bomb Nut Butters. They're amazing. They make awesome macadamia-based nut butters, like salted chocolate macadamia nut butter, which is one of my favorites. My other favorite is macadamia with coconut. And they have macadamia with sea salt and their new flavor, macadamia pecan with sea salt. Check that out at dropanfbomb.com. And with the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, you get 20% off your first order. So check out fatbomb.com or drop an fbomb.com. Get your fat on, nice, clean, on the go, quick and easy, tear packets, so easy to eat, very easy to digest, and they're delicious. So check that out. I love F-Bomb. It is the F-Bomb. If you're interested in hanging out with a community of like and flow-minded peeps like me and my peers and my crew, check out magicflowbus.com. There, we're going to have information on our next event, which is happening in San Francisco on May 5th. 2018 that is Cinco de Mayo and we're basically having 12 plus hours of fun flow activities from the ancient and the new so the day usually looks like hanging out in nature with our yoga mat doing yoga and awesome breathing protocols like the oxygen advantage uh, courtesy of Patrick McEwen's work or the Wim Hof method, getting the body prepared to do an ice bath and really calling up our evolutionary responses to nature that we've lost through technology and modernization. So reawaken that part of your brain and, you know, the part that it's there, but, uh, you know, we've sort of lost touch with because we are chasing and being in a rat race. So that's a fun day of flow activities. We got great food. We got cool conversations. An awesome community. We have special guests. Like neuroscientists. And professional athletes. That share their experience with flow. And how they set a third day. To experience their best life ever. What they do to tap into creativity. And a feeling of aliveness and a feeling of connection. So check out magicflowbus.com. Um, it's amazing. Um, also, like during that day, forgot to mention that we have technology that helps induce flow, whether it's uh, electrotherapy. No, it's not shock therapy. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but really cool technologies that. Uh, and train or induce a state of flow, illicit flow. 
um, to give you that sort of glimpse of what that is. And uh, we use like heart rate variability monitors. We use neurofeedback. Um, we even do like vitamins and mineral IV injections, um, all sorts of things to really bring that body to bring our bodies to a state of optimal uh, wellness and the feeling of flow. So yeah, check that out. Super fun event. And this show is made possible again by my sponsor um, and also by patrons like you. So if you love this show and you want to help support it, which goes into, you know, eventually helping me edit the show and, and stepping up the, uh, the production quality, go to patreon.com forward slash flow real. So Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash flow real F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L and any contributions is greatly appreciated and really goes a long way to help me support Hangry and Horny. So my next guest, it's such an exciting episode. Uh, Eva Rupert um, was featured on Discovery Channel's Naked and Afraid. She's actually been on that show two times. And what they do is they put people out in nature completely naked and they're only allowed to bring one tool and they have to figure out a way to survive for anywhere from 21 days plus and I think Eva's done a 21 day and a 40 day plus uh, naked and afraid challenge so she's such an incredible curious delightful enthusiastic human being I really enjoyed this episode just picking her brain on what was it like to to be exposed like that in nature um, what was it like to have a camera crew follow her around and uh, you know it's kind of a interesting uh, story that she tells how to like be able to manage those two worlds simultaneously you know being a uh being looked at like some fly on the wall while being in nature trying to survive at the same time and it's just really cool because i just think that this goes with our theme here at hangry and horny about evolution and our connection to nature and how that's somewhat lost and maybe that's where a lot of our issues with anxiety and depression and um, you know, just having a hard time with uh, modern life and the rat race and trying to make ends meet, trying to follow our dreams and our heart, but also, you know, be true to our responsibilities with our family and friends and that whole human experience dynamic that, you know, maybe primitive ancestral cultures and tribes had it a little bit more simpler in some ways, but um, but very complicated in other ways because they were spending most of their days trying to survive 
and this modern life that we live in we have so much leisure time that it's so easy to take that for granted and to be complacent and not go for a dream because there's no excuse especially in the western nations to you know utilize the freedoms that we have to 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 live the life that we dreamed of and and have the means possible to do that so without further ado and i am just so stoked to share this episode number seven of hangry and horny and introduce my next guest eva rupert enjoy What's up, Eva? Hey, Tony. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hangry and Horny. That's so cool. It's great to be here in, yeah. in the F-Bomb studio. The F-Bomb factory. Yeah. That's it's, awesome. Uh, it's such awesome that uh, Ross and Kara just gave us the place to host this. And This is the best. Yeah. So this is cool. So we're like we're like doubling up on, on, on the interwebs right now because we're also live on my Instagram. And I have so many rad people who love rad stuff on there. And it's great. It's like... It's awesome. I feel like I have a really great online community. I'm so happy that I yeah. This like, is we cool. To... I feel like honored that when this is your first podcast ever, yeah. and then two, it's the first time I've ever done a podcast live this on is Instagram. Good. Yeah. So man, we're gonna like open up a wormhole to a new dimension. Oh, seriously! Like I've heard <laughs> so much about you from uh, Ross and Kara, and uh, they were telling me about like sort of your background as a survivalist in nature, um, riding motorcycles. Um, you know, just all these different things being on the Discovery Naked and Afraid show. So mm-hmm. there's so many things that I want to like talk to you about, like all these experiences that you had and like how this all like began for you, this journey. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've been hearing so many good things about you and I'm really honored to be here today. So thank you. Um, yeah, those, all the things that you said are true. I am on the Discovery Channel Naked and Afraid show, which is awesome. It's been a part of my life for maybe the last five five or six years now at this point, ever since the show before it was even on television. And when I'm not doing that, I'm riding motorcycles and I spend most of my time traveling. I ride a BMW adventure bike and I just love getting off the road and I love going on long trips and somehow between the survival stuff and the motorcycle stuff and coming home to Flagstaff, Arizona, where I love so much, like I just, I just feel like I have this awesome life experience going on right now and I feel so fortunate. So were you always like a, a vagabond spirit or? <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Always. I have always been like a wanderer and a little gypsy girl. And I've lived all over the country, you know, nine different states, 20 something different cities over the course of my life. Like, And that was from your childhood with your parents or afterwards, like when you finally left home? Afterwards, for okay. sure. Yeah. I, I went to high school all in the same town. I grew up in Connecticut. Um, you know, in Connecticut, people are kind of like, yeah, I think I've heard of that. Where even is that place? Mm-hmm. So like... Yukon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other side of the state. So, you know, maybe an hour north of New York City, okay. like straight up suburbs. You know, we're talking like like 
just suburbs and that's what it was but it was interesting at that time because it was like you know the the city centers were expanding and the suburbs were like in this process of transformation from like sort of loosely packed suburbs to densely packed suburbs and so when I was a kid we would just go out and like free range explore and build forts and there would be like these like forgotten tracts of land that we would like cut our teeth on and like have little home bases and find like like little forgotten nooks of the world that were still wild, that were still woods, even though like, you know, the city was kind of creeping in slowly. And I think that's where it all started. Yeah. You know? And your parents allowed you to just like go out and have fun in the outdoors and just be home by dinner kind of thing. Totally. Or? Okay. They've always been so supportive of me and whatever sort of crazy mission I'm on. It's like, whether I'm like, yeah, I'm going to just fly to Peru and ride a motorcycle around for a while, or I'm going to go on a crazy television show and take my clothes off and survive for a month or, you know, buy a house and Flagstaff. It's, it's really like, I just have this great support network. My parents, my whole family, they all think I'm a little crazy, but they love me a lot. So it's awesome. So you've had this like inkling, like from the get go, as far as you remember, like exploring and being creative and just finding ways to like learn new things and see new places. Totally. Yeah. I, um, I've done a lot, you know, we lose it sometimes, you know, there's times when I feel really connected to that essential part of myself. And then there's times when I feel really disconnected from that. And like, you know, there's been phases in my life, which I'm not in one of those phases right now where I look around and I'm like, who am I? Like, what, where do I belong? What am I doing? And like, I feel like when I'm in those places, like I am not myself, I am not who I need to be. And, and you just get this funny feeling. And fortunately, you know, I've like develop the survival mechanisms to realize like, whoa, I'm kind of like off the path that I ought to be on. Like I'm disconnecting from myself. I'm not spending enough time outdoors. I'm not treating my body well. I'm not connecting with the people that I need to connect with. And I think, you know, I've, I feel like I've been fortunate enough to live the kind of life where I've gotten to like, like kind of go down the wrong road and then come right back to the, to so the path you're pretty like astute now in terms of noticing when you're, you are disconnected. Totally. Okay. I'm super keyed into it. And like, I, it stresses me out. Like if I see myself going a direction that isn't working, like the first thing I realize is I'm like, I'll realize that I'm a little stressed. I'm a little off put, like, you know, like things aren't working right. Things aren't jiving. And like, the first thing I think is like, okay, what am I doing? What's not working? And what do I need to do to, to correct my path? What example would you give like in your childhood, like maybe school sitting in the classroom trying to like sit still and learn? Like where, where would you, cause you're like a very energetic, like bright, like soul and person, you know? And so was that the first time where you felt like you were out of place? You know, I, I was really good at finding my place in school and it was not in the classroom. I graduated from my high school with more, um, alternative credits than any other student. They basically rewrote the laws after I left because they, there was this path or this, there was this um, path that you could follow called independent study. And so you could make a, a class proposal and this was in public school, you know, no, nobody was like doing any sort of revolutionary alternative ed in, in, in Bethel, Connecticut back in the eighties and nineties. And so there was this sort of path where you could make a class proposal, get it approved by a number of instructors, and then be able to spend that hour of your day doing whatever you want. And so I invented like audiovisual classes and photography classes and art classes. And so like, I kind of figured out a good way to work that system. You know, I wasn't really that connected with school. It was fine. It was what it was, but I spent way more of the time that I remember 
in the art class and running around outside and escaping, you know. I yeah, think. yeah, that's what I was trying to get to. Is that like you know you don't seem like the type that can like be the traditional like student in a classroom. Totally. And you had that the the I guess you were very lucky that you could actually have that option to totally. take that creative path. Yeah, I felt like school was just a lot of putting up with a lot of BS and rigmarole. And like <laughs> yes. it, it was what it was. You know, it's like like getting out of high school was just like totally liberating totally like this newfound sense of freedom which was so cool so yeah so what happened like after high school so now you're you're out there in the world you're still in connecticut what what was next um i after high school i went to college i went to a really cool school called emerson college in boston massachusetts and um it was it was a totally cool place back then. I don't know what the school's like now, but it was like I was in the dark room all the time and I was working on like I thought that I was going to be a great filmmaker someday, which is hilarious. Um, and so I was like all about like going in there, becoming a filmmaker. I really wanted to go to like the Tisch School of the Arts or USC or some really prestigious film school. But it was, you know spent too much time squirreling around in high yeah, school. You yeah. got to get good grades for that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, so I went to Emerson college and it was so cool cause it was like a trade school for the arts. So I spent all day like working on projects, doing the kind of experiential learning that I think is so valuable. Yeah. For you kids. got that hands-on experience where you're not just like learning like intellectually, but in the world, like practically. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, you're in it, you're doing it. And that's where we learn. I mean, that's what real life is like, you know? So I kind of fast tracked through college. I spent about three years there, which was great. And then immediately moved to California, like, like ran screaming from the East coast. Um, and then ran screaming back to the East coast after, after living in California for a while. Like I was just like, Whoa, that was a big jump. That was not what I needed to do. And went back and, um, where, where in California did you go? I was in Santa Cruz, which is a really rad town. It was really cool. And I was there you know, for a really critical moment of my life, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. And then I got there and was like, okay, I, I, looking back on it now, I feel like I learned the the lessons that I needed to learn, you know, at that point, like that I was free, that I was independent, that I could do whatever I want. And I made this like epic pilgrimage back to the East coast and found myself in New York city, kind of like going back to this place that felt really comfortable and familiar. Like I was, um, you know, like kind of in this urban environment, which, which like kind of felt safe at the time after being in Boston for, for my college experience. But I kept getting the sense that things weren't what they were supposed to be. And I would take the train up to Connecticut and like one day, one of my girlfriends, I I rode the train from New York city up to, um, to Brewster, New York, which is just upstate a little bit. One of my friends picked me up and she was like, Hey Eva, you've been doing that rock climbing thing. I'm working at this summer program and they need people who can do rock climbing with these kids. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. So she picks me up at the train station. We drive out onto this property that's like right on the Connecticut, New York border. And it was called Great Hollow Wilderness School. And it was like a light came on in my head and a part of myself that I had not seen since I was that little kid running around in the woods. Like it's like something just clicked. And she like drove me onto the property from the train station. I was like, oh my God, Rachel, like this this is where I need to be. I need to be in this place. And she was like, well, maybe they can give you like a job or something, you know? And it's like, we were climbing in the gyms and like at Chelsea Piers and stuff like that. And like, you know, kind of, I thought I knew something about rock climbing or whatever. And all of a sudden, like I realized like, 
I was back in the woods and I was right where I needed to be. And that started a, like a really essential 10 year period in my life where I worked in outdoor education. What? So describe this feeling that you had this like instant epiphany. How would you describe that? You know, it, it was like, God, how do you describe an epiphany? It's like where you're looking at something and you have this sense of familiarity, even though you know you've never been there before. I had not been to that place before, but like, like seeing those trees and smelling like that, like New England summertime smell where you can like smell the streams running and like you can smell like the leaves unfurling and like it's just everything is so alive. Like the grass is growing and the streams are running and like you just get this sense of like raw, real nature and like you're just so incredibly like, like you're so connected to it. And you know, it, because it's sort of that, like that resonance where it's like, all of a sudden I'm vibrating on the same level that the world around me is. And like, that's, you know, like we talk about like earthing and grounding and nature deficit disorder. Right. And it's like, I, I think I had that moment where all of a sudden, like, like, like it synced up it just synced up that's exactly the word for it and it okay. was so cool it was so cool and so like you know i came back a couple of days later and interviewed with them and and it, i mean that was it's so funny saying it now because i haven't really thought about this moment in a long time mm -hmm. but it's like like that is really one of the most defining moments of my life you know if i had to pick a handful of defining moments it was that day the day that rachel picked me up from the train it was that's, really cool that's really cool yeah one of the things that i'm always fascinated because i've had those experiences too and i just love when someone retells this story it's like you're right back there yeah. and i can feel it i see it in your eyes i oh, see cool. the body language and you know, it's like you were saying, like, how do you describe an epiphany, you know? And it's like, well, you you did. And I, I, I had that same feeling, um, even though sometimes, like, we may use, like, different words to describe it. But there was, like, this sort of, um, uh, a re, a re, like, you can relate, you know? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, so... So to me, that that's what I call like a flow state, right? right? And uh, that's when you feel you're most alive, you lose track of time, mm -hmm. and uh, everything around you just like glows, so to speak, right? And and uh, there's no sense of like separation, your mind is clear, you feel like very alert and charged and like very engaged. Yeah. So um, let's go backwards. Like when you went to Santa Cruz, what happened? Man, so I moved out there with this guy that I was seeing at the time, got out to Santa Cruz, thought it was like the coolest place, but it was, you know, it wasn't my time to be there. You know, it was, it was cool to go out there. And like, I think I had to get thrown into something where I was a little bit in over my head, like a little out of my league. You know, Santa Cruz is a big place with some big energy and you know you're by the pacific ocean which is one of the single most powerful forces on the planet i mean that is a massive ocean you the know big change from the atlantic ocean totally and, different yeah totally different so it's like you know you're reversing polarity like you're like your 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 tides are flowing in different directions you know it's like it like was this stronger current yeah. it was so different right yeah. so you think about like right if you're if you're an east coast person person like you're used to like this flow mm -hmm. right and then when you go to the west coast all of a sudden to be thrown into exactly the opposite flow it just kind of it spun my whole world on my head you know it was it was hard i struggled really hard being there um i did end up finding a really great amazing powerful job that was so cool 
Um, but I just knew that it wasn't my place. It wasn't my time. Like it wasn't my time to be there. And one of the big lessons that I learned is that sometimes you have to be okay with leaving things behind. Sometimes the things that move us forward are the, the saying no, the changing directions and being like, you know what? I thought that this was the direction I want to go, but it wasn't right. And we don't know that until we do that. And it's part of that exploring process and part of that learning process. And I think, you know, sometimes like our life is measured by what we gain and what we accomplish, but sometimes it's measured by what we leave behind and let go of. And so I think that's, that's where that sense of that started was being like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to go. And the day I left was so cool. I went and got a coffee at the little coffee shop. I lived on the West side of Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. got my coffee. I was like, okay, I got to say goodbye to the ocean. Cause I'm about to drive back across the country in my crusty old truck. I get my coffee. I walk out to Westcliff and it's like this massive storm front was like coming into the ocean. I left and Santa Cruz was pummeled by this crazy hurricane. And I was like, okay, this is my sign. This is the right thing to do. I got to get out of here. Like, like, and you could just see it coming. You know, when you can see that storm rolling across the ocean like that. And it was like, the timing, it was perfect. And like, it was kind of like this, like, okay, like I'll see you again, ocean. But it was, you know, it was definitely the right time for me to hit the road. So. That's cool. So earlier on, we were talking about like Rupert Sheldrake and like the morphic resonance. And yes. And so you're obviously like very uh, attuned to energies and frequencies, you know, which in some way it's like it doesn't necessarily have to be like new agey because the brain waves, the heart waves and the muscle waves all have a frequency to it and an amplitude. So being like connected with nature and then seeing this sign of the storm front come into Santa Cruz, like, can you describe, like, when did you start noticing uh, the signs or signals, you know? Man, that's so funny, you know, because I don't, I, I don't like to pretend that I'm like too woo woo or anything. Like, I like to pretend like, oh, I'm just like, I'm a pretty straight shooter, pretty scientific, whatever. Um, but then I say like things come out of my mouth, like, and then this storm front like came at me from Santa Cruz. I'm like, I sound like such. I know. <laughs> such I a, do the same I thing. Do the same so stuff. that's a, yeah. So like, you know, when it comes to somebody like Rupert Sheldrake, that's why he is such a, my dad turned me on to Rupert Sheldrake when I was a kid. Like he started telling me about this concept of morphic resonance and I was young. Like it was too big for me to get my head around as a, as a young person. But I, I really appreciate people who can like kind of take that, like, hard science and mix it with stuff that we think is like kind of woo woo and out there and like start to make those connections. You know, like I always think like if, if we don't have like some weird thoughts and like, like fringe ideas, we never grow, you know? And it's like, it's like the places where we're uncomfortable or the, the places that challenge us as people is probably a good direction to, to start exploring into next, you know? And so if, you know, I was listening to this Rupert Sheldrake thing last night and it was like, you know, if this is a place where, where if his ideas and what he's presenting are making people feel uncomfortable as a collective, like kind of, kind of shaking the roots of, of concrete science, well, maybe that's the direction we need to look into. Right. And that's like how we should explore anything. Like, you know, it's like you could go down this like nicely paved, straightforward road, or you could take that like bumpy, awkward, crooked looking one that goes off in whatever direction, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, I think, um, you know, I think that's important. I think it's good to honor both sides. It's yeah. good to honor the known parts and the constant parts because that stuff keeps us kind of grounded. But 
if we don't get into the uncomfortable stuff and the weird stuff and like the things that make us feel a little out of place, we're not growing. So it's all about like, like staying right on that little cusp. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of like this line that we all have. Um, a friend of mine and author Scott Carney calls it the wedge. Ooh. And basically he wrote a book of what doesn't kill us. And he looked at like people like Wim Hof, the Iceman. It was like, how did they, adapt to these extreme environments where like they put themselves in these uncomfortable positions and then they learn to control their physiology through like breathing and right. and, and mindset right and then our bodies just adapt uh through time so it's the same thing like with weight training you know where you lift a certain weight mm -hmm. and then you need to lift a little heavier in order to get that muscle to respond and adapt right so the same thing when you're like exploring these new territories whether it's in your mind or like in the outside world um and then like having this sense um and that's the next question is like where did you start to understand this? We were alluding to earlier about your instinct mm -hmm. and your intuition, you yeah. know, like on how, like, like you're saying, like you just knew it was time to leave Santa Cruz or, or you would go into the woods and you would go into some sort of hidden place or a place that was unexplored. And then at a certain point, you're like, okay, we need to like turn back. Right, right. I think, so that sense of instinct, I think is something that no matter what phase of my life I've been in, whether it's been like a more urban type phase, being in Boston or New York or Seattle or any of the city type places that I've spent time in, and in the wilderness places that I've been in, that is something that I feel like I've always been able to rely on and, and come back to, you know, like when you're in the city, like your spidey senses are on high alert, you know, it's like you, you, I like to think that I personally always have a good sense of what's going on around me. Like what, you know, especially, you know, especially like when you're navigating more challenging parts of the city, like you want to keep your wits about you, you know, and we always say that my mom would always say that when I was a little kid, she'd be like, keep, keep your wits about you, Eva. Don't, you know, like, you know, if I was a little kid and I was going to be getting on a train or heading off in some different direction, you know, keep your wits about you, you know, she would always say that. And it's, we have that, you know, mm -hmm. we have that and we own that. And I think like honoring it and not overriding it. Like so often I feel like we'll have an intuitive or instinctual um, choice come to us and we'll be like, no, 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 no. And you try and use your like brain to like logic your way out of it and think like, oh, no, no, no it's not, you know, uh, let me think my way through this as opposed to feeling your way through things. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel really lucky that I've always had that sort of sense of instinct and it's always been there with me. I don't know that I've always made the best choices, but for the most part, you know, it's, it's, it's like a muscle, you know, right. like you have to like trust it. You have to exercise it. You have to honor it. You mm -hmm. know, you yeah. have to let it rest sometimes. Right. So. Yeah. Hone, hone those experiences. So where does like being like a woman come into play? Because now you're, you're going into these places that could jeopardize your like safety, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Like how did, how did that like come into play with just going to these, you know, places that you could be taken advantage of? Totally. Um, gosh, you know, it's funny. I like, I don't, I don't think much about being a woman. Like I, 
I like to just sort of be a human. I'm also, I think I have an advantage. I'm really tall. I'm almost six feet tall. Mm-hmm. I'm strong. Like I ride a big giant motorcycle. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. You definitely have like a presence. I have a you. presence. Yeah. And so, you know, and I try and remember this cause I always think like, okay, like I, I'm not saying like I, I can definitely be overpowered by somebody who's having ill intentions towards me. Like I, I'm very aware of that is something that can absolutely happen. Um, but that said, I'm also not the same kind of target, I don't think, especially now, now that I'm in my 30s. I mean, when I was in my young 20s, maybe more so because I was a little dumber and a little blonder and a little like more naive. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. more naive. But now I feel like, you know, I travel with a sense of presence. And I always think about this. Last year, uh, I was in Peru riding my motorcycle. I flew down there, got a bike and just went on a trip around the Southern part of the country, which was totally cool. And they would have these border checkpoints, right? And so I'm rolling up on my motorcycle. I've got my helmet on, I've got my jacket on my big riding pants and I've got my, you know, my bag strapped to the back of this like overgrown dirt bike. And, um, it would very often happen where I would pull up to this checkpoint and the guard at the checkpoint would be like, you know, senior, give me your papers. And like, there was a couple of times when I would pull my helmet off and I would be like, Oh, you need my papers. And they would just about lose their shit because like, they're thinking like, here's some guy on a big motorcycle, which nobody has big motorcycles down there, you know? And like, all of a sudden I take off my helmet and like, it's like, like, they'd be like, like, Oh my God. Like you're a girl. Yeah. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. And you know, it was always so funny. It was such a great interaction to be able to take people. Yeah, surprise them. Yeah. Which was so cool. And I had several, and so it really ended up becoming like a really positive point of interaction for me. You know, so like, and it happens in the states all the time. For some reason, like Peru comes to mind because I had these really wonderful conversations with some really cool ladies down there. And like, I'm looking at these ladies who are like these old ladies, like slogging through the Andes with giant bundles tied to their back. And I'm thinking like, these old ladies are badass, right? Right. I've got a motorcycle. I'm not working hard at all. And then connecting with women in different towns that I would stay in. And like the women would be like, you are doing something so amazing and so powerful and so cool and so inspiring right now. And it's like nothing in the world makes you feel better than have another woman say that to you. You know, it's so cool. And I have like some really awesome, you know, women who like, check in with me on social media and they're like, you just do so much kick-ass stuff, Eva. Like, and it's such an honor. It means so much to me. You know, and it makes me want to make sure that I'm always making good decisions in my life and making the right choices and like being the kind of person that people can continue to look up to. So you're obviously like very confident, you know, were there times where you were doubting or you just sort of question like obviously a, a decision or being in a place I think I, I think I keep that sense of doubt and self doubt very close to me. I keep that as like the, like sort of the beacon by which I make all my decisions, you know, like I, I feel like there's, I, I don't know that I, I, I try to acknowledge my sense of self doubt, but I try not to let it drive. It can ride in the backseat. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, I, you know, I do doubt myself like, okay, am I making a good decision? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right job? Am I, you know, like, am I, am I spending my energy in the right ways? Things like that. And, and, you know, to keep that healthy sense of self doubt, I think is like becomes self preservation, becomes instinct, you know? But, um, I think. 
Like I'm thinking of the women that are looking at you, um, you know, you're six foot, you're a powerful person. Yeah. Uh, and they might like compare themselves like why, like, oh, that Eva could do that or Eva can travel to these like these kind of sketchy countries, you know, where mm-hmm. there's like uh, ill will intentions of other men, sure. you know, or multiple men or something. Um, so what what kind of uh suggestions do you have for them to like be able to express themselves the way that's true to them yeah and still be safe you know totally well i always think like not everybody is cut out to climb mount everest and i've said this before you know like not everybody's cut out to climb mount everest not everybody's cut out to ride their motorcycle around the world but everybody you know not everybody's cut out to run an ultra marathon right but i think it's our responsibility to figure out what that thing is that really gets us jazzed and really makes us want to push ourselves and find that and lean into it. Maybe for somebody it's being like the best accountant ever or like being an awesome preschool teacher or like, you know, being a really kick-ass artist, you know, but like find that thing that pushes you and challenges you and go that direction, right? Like I think that's super important. And especially for women, like I want all the women out there to know that we don't need permission. Nobody needs permission. You don't need permission from me. You don't need permission from some man. You don't need permission from your husband. You don't even need permission from yourself. You are already, you have full permission to go do all the badass, amazing, kick-ass things that you were meant to do. Like, so your only responsibility at that point is go do them, go find them, you know, and keep like, keep digging, get to that place where it's uncomfortable and you're scared and you don't know if you're making the right decision and just lean right into that yeah uh what would you say to someone that would say well that's easy for you you're like single you don't have a kid or kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um what, what would be your recommendation in that sense like let's say you were a mother right with, with the husband right well you know what be that most badass kick-ass mom ever you know be all about doing rad stuff with your kids and for your kids and then be brave about realizing that you need time for you too. I think that's one big thing. You know, I just had an awesome workout this morning with my friend Corey who has, she has a new baby. Her baby's like six or eight months old at this point. And like, it, it's so cool, like to walk into her house and she's hanging out with her baby. And then she passes him, passes her over to baby daddy. And she's like, we're going to go for a workout in the park. And it's like, we have to remember to take that time for ourselves. And whether you're being a mom or you're growing a business or whatever it is that you're nurturing in your life, those those things I think can feel really overwhelming and really all consuming. And I think we have to remember that if we don't take time for ourselves and don't replenish our own wellsprings, we can't take care of anybody else. So, you know, for, for the moms, for the, you know, less freewheeling gals out there, you know, figure out what it is you really need. Like what gets you so jazzed and, and figure out how to make it happen. You got yeah, to pretty much like carve the time for themselves, even yeah. though they have all these other responsibilities. Totally. And, totally. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with just being like, you know what? I'm going to go to yoga class once a week, or I'm going to go for a walk with my dogs and leave my cell phone at home. You know, I think it's important to, I think it's important to remember that we can scale things. It doesn't always have to be climbing Mount Everest or riding your motorcycle around the country for three months straight. You know, like it can just be like something little and simple and like, you know, and, and remember to take as much joy in that. And this is something I struggle with to remember that like, 
little moments can be big moments, you know, like sometimes like taking a nap is amazing. Like sometimes like being like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do that work thing right now. I'm just going to sit on the porch and stare at the clouds with the dog for a little bit. And remember that that's important too. Like it doesn't have to be something monumentous for, for it to be worthwhile. Right. Like always high performing, high performing, high performing, just Mm -hmm. like being like full throttle all the time and trying to take on the world. Like, and I think that's a lot of people get this misconception of like professionals or they're almost like superhuman, but like Mm -hmm. everybody's got like a weak point, you know, everybody definitely needs to like rest at some point or, or back down, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. That's super huge. I forget sometimes. Like I'm, I'm like, I always say I'm a number seven. There's like this, any, you know, about the Enneagrams. It's like oh, yeah, a personality typing thing. Mm-hmm. And so the number seven is called the enthusiast. Right. Okay. And I want to do all the things all the time. Like I want all the, you know, all the experiences. I want to go to all the parties. I want to hang out with all the friends. I want to do all the work. I want to have all the jobs. And it's like, you get to this point where you have like have run yourself into a tizzy, you know, and you can't see straight and you're working way too much. I mean, we all get this way sometimes about, I think it comes from a place of passion, but it's like, it's, it's so essential to remember to like, like to check out for a little bit and like take it down a notch and like, just, yeah, just breathe a little bit more and slow down a little bit. All that is important. You know, we live in a world, I mean, like we're surrounded by technology all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And that just like keeps us ramped up nonstop. Yeah. It feels like a performance right now, you Mm -hmm, know? And so mm -hmm. there's definitely a focus and the body's like pretty much stepping up for, for this to happen. Um, has there ever been a like rock bottom moment for you or a place where you were, uh, depressed, sad, uh, anxious, I've gone through, I've definitely gone through a few like noted dark periods in my life. Um, I, you know, like, I mean, it's so funny, like even saying that I'm like, Ooh, I don't even want to go there. Like, I don't even want to like, you know, I, I, I don't always do well spending time in the shadow places in my life, you know, like. Like I, you know, I've dealt with some like really challenging family stuff that like really kind of like threw me off for a couple of years. Um, you know, I've dealt with some personal stuff that's kind of rocked me a little bit. Um, you know, but not being in that space, it's so nice. I feel like it's so everyone's always like, you know, these are just lessons. This is, it's important for you to have these challenges. But when you're in the midst of like a really hard, shitty, dark spot, you're like, fuck your lessons, fuck your challenges. Like for real, man, like, it's like, like you just don't want to be there. And like you, we all know that place where like, you just feel kind of cornered or trapped and that you can't see your way out. You know, like you can't logic your way out. You can't clever your way out. And sometimes I think when you're in the midst of it, you just have to like hunker down and go through it, you know? And I, you just grit your teeth and you just embrace the suck and you just cry as much as you need to. And you lean on your friends and and like, you know, I, I can't even tell you like how thankful I am for like this amazing network of friends, especially in those challenging times, you know, mm. it's like, yeah, it's, and it's just so nice, like not being there. I'm in this place in my life right now that is so full of elation mm-hmm. and prosperity and success and love. And I, I just, I can't even tell you, I'm like, 
I'm like on cloud nine in my life right now. Things are so rad. Like, and, and that's why I feel like I'm like, Ooh, I get to connect with so many rad, awesome people. And I feel like I like to stay in that spot, but you know, like sometimes like we don't always get to be there. We don't always yeah. get to be at that crest. You know, you gotta, you gotta be down in the troughs. You gotta yeah, be in the trenches. Too. That's pretty much life, right? Yeah. yeah totally. Life is that way. And, um, so what, how, how would this, um, sort of, be related to being in the survival situations now because there are certain times where you're, it's scary or, you know, um, there's no food or no water. Or- totally. Totally. You know, like, so, um, so with Naked and Afraid, the first time I did it, I went out for 21 days and I had no idea what I was getting myself into, right? The show wasn't even on TV at that point. Like we just had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And so that was sort of like this sort of innocent stumbling into challenge, right? A couple years later, I did a 40 day Naked and Afraid and you know, all this stuff is on TV and you can get the television version of it if you watch Discovery Channel. But there's, you know, there's there's two different versions of Naked and Afraid. There's what you see on TV and then there's what you experience from the inside out, you know, and they look very different, you know, and as right. you can imagine, because it's, it's TV, it's yeah. TV. Yeah. So they only take like the drama and they splice it with the other drama. Sorry, Discovery Channel is what it is. You guys know what you do. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, like, they have to make it palatable it's cheap, for yeah, right? TV. And so you yeah. little bite-sized things, which is totally cool. And and you get a sense of what it's like to be out there, but you don't get the real sense of what it's like to spend 40 days completely naked. You have no shoes. You have no blanket to pull over. You have no tent. You have no tarp. You have nothing but a knife and maybe a buddy to rely on, right? And then you are heavily observed. You have these people staring at you with cameras, you know, and they want to know what's going to happen next. And so you're like this combination of like this like prehistoric version of yourself, but you're on display. So it's like, it, it, it is such a bizarre experience. And so you're doing this like intense survival because you're, you're starving, you're naked and you're just trying to figure out the next thing. And 40 days it's like if if 21 days is like, you know, a 10K fun run like downtown with hot dogs at the end, I feel like a 40-day Naked and Afraid is like some kind of ultra marathon through Death Valley level of hell. It is so hard. It is so challenging. It's so taxing on your body. It's, you know, we always talk about here in the F-bomb thing how important the fat is to us. And you are so fat deprived and so f- protein deprived your mental function is like just being massively depleted you know i was in colombia for my 40 day one where was like, the where was the first one the 21 day first one was in madagascar okay which was awesome super cool environment colombia was amazing too but it's crazy both of these i speak a little bit of french i speak a little bit of spanish like conversational level right i can get my way through so when i was in madagascar like i was speaking french with everybody translating for the crew and by day 21 like I could barely get my English out. You know what I mean? And the same thing happened in Colombia, like walking around in the town, like just bullshitting with everybody. Yeah, fully like integrated. With, integrated and everybody. Yeah. And then, you know, 40 days, like I, I, I can hardly remember how to communicate in proper English, let alone like communicate in Spanish with these people like in the town once we got out. And it was just like, it just speaks to like how depleted 
your mental functions are out there. You know, like you see people get skinny and you see people get dirty and you see them not eat. But what you don't realize is the the toll that it's taking on your body from the inside out between like the muscle atrophy, the parasites, the depleted mental function. It's like it is it is really, it's really hard. Right. It's really and hard. You have bug bites. You have cuts. All the bug bites. Yeah. All the cuts. I damn near cut my finger off. I got six stitches in the field. Oh, Like shit. no anesthesia, just from like having a space cadet moment because I wasn't Brain. thinking well, you know? Like, oh, and you're covered in bugs. There's so many bugs. <laughs> the bugs are gnarly. It's, yeah. But, you know, like, but you're still you are, it's like you're operating on a different primal level of who you are. You know, you are like, you are like a paleolithic version of yourself. You know, you are like, like tapping into some real ancestral knowledge that we're really fortunate to get to touch into every now and then, you know, and it's really cool because we're, we're born knowing how to survive. We would not have gotten this far in the world if we didn't have ingrained survival skills, you know, that's, it's in our makeup. It's in our lizard brains. It's in like, it's in our cells to survive out there. You know, somebody who looks just like you was rubbing sticks together a lot of years ago, trying to make a fire. And I, I think that that's what we all need to remember is that like this stuff is built into us, but we're so removed from it as a society that it's like novel to see people do this on television. Right. And so I, I just feel so honored that I get to have that experience. Like it just talk about something that really like will reaffirm your belief in yourself and your sense of self-esteem. It's nothing like nothing like a challenge like that. Yeah. So you went in with some of these skills already built in because you started, you found your passion as we were alluding earlier. Yeah. So you had learned some of these things and then you got uh, picked to be on the show and ended yep. up going. Yep. Um, so I have two questions. Like what, how would somebody with no experience fare out there <laughs> and right? Could we been so far removed with modernization and then two um, what was the moment where you were in there and you realized, holy shit, like, you know, there's no turning back. Right. <laughs> so uh, there, I think there are definitely a lot of people who turn up on the naked and afraid show now who don't have a ton of experience. You okay. know, some people will be like, Oh, well, I'm really into like doing adventure races. And so I spend a lot of time being muddy and like, I, I think all that's great. And I do think at the end of the day, the thing that gets you through is like that sense of perseverance. You know, the thing that gets you to the end of the big race, the end of the marathon, the end of, you know, the top of the mountain, whatever that is. Yeah. You're you, tired, you're hungry, you're afraid, all that stuff, all that stuff. Yeah. Right. And so being able to persevere in the face of that, I think is, is the ultimate survival skill, but I will tell you, it's really nice to have a background in primitive survival going in there. Cause you already understand what it's like to be cold, what it's like to be wet, hungry, how to deal with the bugs, stuff's crawling on you. How do you yeah. make a good fire? Yeah, you where know? to get water, right? Totally. Yeah. So those are all like, it's nice to already have some of that in your back pocket when you're going out there, you know, rather than being like, oh yeah, like I, I, I keep going back to the adventure race thing because that is very adventurous and cool and really fun, but it's not a survival scenario. You know, like I think if you have seen combat, there's a lot of guys who go on the show who are veterans. I don't know that there's anybody who's active military who can go on naked and afraid, but like to have that sort of like sense of long-term adversity going in there and knowing what that's like, 
you know, or having dealt with some real life challenges for long periods of time, especially ones where you don't get to sleep in your own bed at night. I think having that kind of experience is really helpful for people who want to go on that show. Um, you know, like really, I think you ideally would have, like, you should know how to make a friction fire. You should know how to purify water. You should like have some sort of rudimentary understanding of edible and medicinal plants, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, like I, that's my personal thought. Right, that's right. A, that's like a very few and but far the, between. Yeah, and they never people. teach this in school. They, no. You're taught that like life's gonna be smooth sailing. Totally. Like, and you know, but there's possibility that we could have some sort of nuclear th- thing, uh, another war, yeah, a uh, you know environmental disaster, like totally. And most people would totally like died you know like i guess a lot of people in war and like concentration camps like if they didn't have that like sort of perseverance or a, a meaning totally uh like victor Fran- frankel's like mm-hmm. search for meaning like then most of those people like end up like giving up right right i love that idea of like identifying that thing that separates like the 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 survivor from the victim right right you know and it's like on some level i guess i wonder like is it up to us? Are we born with that? Like, does everybody have that ability to survive through like true adversity or are some people not cut out for that? I've always been curious, like if there was like a gene for that or was that just a a mental like frame of mind that you just decided and choose, right? you know, or you had like something like, okay, this sucks really bad, but this too shall pass. Yeah. Right. And that's why I asked about your rock bottom moments. Cause for me, you know, when you first have one of those, you think life is over. You're like, I was on the the brink of suicide, you know? And there was this moment where all of a sudden, like I completely surrendered to that darkness. And, And people talk about this with even like plant medicines and psychedelics. There's like this moment where, there's almost like a, a death of the ego, mm-hmm. you know, a mm-hmm. part of this personality where you had this image, right. a frame of like how life like should be and it doesn't fit. So you're in a survival situation and you're like, this sucks because I can't get Amazon Prime right now. I can't get like <laughs> Netflix. You can't totally. play video games, you know, and you start to realize, holy shit, like I love food, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'm thirsty, like I'm yep. cold, right? Mm-hmm. I, it was nice to have a bed. Totally. And and part of why like you and I are like, I call it like flowmatics, you know, it's nice. just we, we are used to like sleeping in different places mm-hmm. and like being uncomfortable, yep. going to like foreign, like sort of uh, unknown territories, yeah. right? And so we're able to use that evolutionary process of our brain to like notice patterns, signs or signals. Yep. So, um, so yeah, that's the whole like survival aspect of like, like whether people are born with that or, or is that something that's learned and it's up to debate. Um, but where, uh, during your survival with like a uh, naked and afraid where when, um, back to that second question, like where you like realize like, like, holy shit, there's no turning back. And then at that point, the, the full acceptance. I, the, the moment I took my clothes off the first time. So this is something I think that's so essential. And I think it's something that's 
a lost skill, but is to go into something fully committed. You know, I walked into that first 21 day thing and I remember like they drive you in a little Jeep out to where you're going to like, like take your clothes off and meet your partner. And I remember this moment where I stepped out of the Jeep, I took my shirt off and I was like, game on. And this is it from now until day last. And, you know, I mean, like literally like I would have to like fall off a cliff or like a tree would have to fall on me for me to like feel like I could like hit the the escape button in that situation, in that scenario. Um, you know, and I think if you approach it with that sort of resolve, that steadfast, like this is a challenge. There's, I mean, the thing with naked and afraid is, you know, you're getting picked up at the end, right? If, if you survive, you're going to get a sandwich and you're going to get to put your clothes back on and you're going to be like, you'll get to the end of the marathon, you know, which would be a very different scenario than like, you know, a, a like you massive know disaster, it, yeah, right? You, know, so you don't know just, if it's going to ever end. Totally, totally. Yeah. And so you have that. So in that sense, it's, it's That's like reassuring. It's reassuring. Yeah, it totally is. It's super reassuring. But that said, like, if that becomes like your your known factor, you know, it's like, it's like a math equation. Like if that's on the other side of the equal sign, you need to figure out what you need to do to get yourself from day one until day 40. And it's like constantly evaluating your personal needs, constantly making sure that you're taking care of yourself. If you have a little cut, you better make sure that it stays clean and doesn't fester because a giant infection spreading up your leg could be a really, really bad thing. Um, you have to make sure like you're constantly evaluating your priorities in survival. It's shelter, water, fire, food. And you just keep going through those over and over in your head. Like, do you have shelter? Because exposure can kill you real quick. Do you have water? Dehydration will kill you in a matter of days. Fire is like, um, for me, it's like a psychological, it's like a psychological win. Like if you can keep your fire going, like you are that much better. Not only is it great for making you feel emotionally good and emotionally uplifted, it is the thing that you can purify your water with. You can cook your food. If you're like, you know, if you catch a snake or a lizard or an animal of some sort, now you can cook it. And just like, it's like this, this emotional reassurance to have the fire thing. And so you're constantly evaluating your survival priorities every single day, every single minute, you know, there's like shelter, water, fire, food, shelter, water, fire, food. Okay. I need to drink water. I'm feeling a little dehydrated, better drink, 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 drink. And then once you're, you're good with that, you're like, okay, oh, firewood piles going down, better go get a bunch of firewood. And then at that point I'll be like, okay, let me go see if I can find a snake or a lizard or something like that. And it's just this constant effort, constant work. So, you know, you, you like, I mean, for me, I just turn on to that environment. And mm -hmm. it's like, for me, like my thought is like, okay, how do I work with this place that I'm in? How do I like, what's the common ground? Like what's familiar to me? What, what are my low hanging fruits? My easy to learn lessons in this environment? Um, I think, you know, like but you knew like your playing field. So once you knew your playing field, then it was up to you to sort of make make it every day yeah. you know, to survive. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Totally. Totally. And you, you know, they say like, like if you throw a pebble into the pond, like the way the little rings spread out, the mm -hmm. concentric rings. And so you learn your environment in the same way, like those concentric rings spread, like you learn your immediate environment and then you can make 
little bit bigger and little bit bigger circles to start to understand a more broad area. Um, which I just think is such a cool concept, you know, like if you're a little pebble and you get plunked into the middle of an unknown environment, you know, like there's these stages of development and learning totally. like, throughout the, the, that whole period. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like you have the core important things mm-hmm. and then you can, once that's like stabilized and you can go to the next level. Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, it goes like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? right? Like, which is a concept that in education, it gets talked about a lot. Like, you know, you got to make sure that like you have like your baseline needs, you know, covered yeah before you start going for self-actualization totally you're not yeah. gonna write the great american novel if like <laughs> you know well you know for me i'm not gonna write it unless i have coffee in the morning so yeah <laughs> but, yeah so it's it's cool though i mean i just love that kind of experience because it's totally immersive right and it goes back to that experiential education thing it's like what happens it's a great human experiment like what happens if we drop these people off naked in the middle of nowhere it's such a great opportunity to experiment with yourself on a physical level, on a mental level, and on a spiritual level. There's so many like segues I want to go on this. It's just nuts because uh, – so let me start with one. Okay, where where did you realize again – um, like you said, the, the moment you got dropped off, you took your clothes, you met your partner. So then you knew that like, okay, it's on. Yeah. Like, okay, so at that point – did you feel like something turn on in your brain or um in your body like like you all of a sudden you like went into like lizard primal mode or anything like that and totally so it takes it takes a little bit to get into that space i always say like 3 days it takes 3 days to really acclimate like day one things feel prickly and you feel extra yeah, hot yeah you see or that with cold. people like camping right yeah. that's been my case too yeah. yeah yeah so it's like really like 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 it's you have like, like doubts you're like oh shit why did i do that i want to just go back home and sit in my like couch you know like <laughs> <laughs> totally yeah totally and so it's really yeah like those first three days it's like um, at the Boulder Outdoor Survival School, they call it impact, right? It's like, so like, it's those first three days where like, you're like shedding your city skin and you're getting down to like your primal skin, your animal skin. And I love that. Like, it feels so good because you actively feel weakness leaving your body. Like, I feel like at first I'm like, Ooh, my feet are a little sensitive, you know, cause we wear shoes most of the time. And like, like the, like, you know, sleeping on the ground is like, like every little thing hurts, you know, and like you're cold all night and like, you know, you're getting bit by bugs and, and it, and it bugs you. Everything kind of bugs you a little bit, you know? And so you got to be really like in that, in that impact. That's when you have to be ultra stoic for me. That's where I go to. It's like, I just have to like be really cool with this. Everything's pissing me off. My partner's pissing me off. They're bitching and moaning. Like everything hurts. My body hurts. My skin hurts. And you just got to be like, it's cool, man. This is all part of the process. But then after those first three days, it's like, for me, I mean, maybe it's different for other people, but like, it's like, you're just in the zone. Like you just, you just get into this space where you, you are like, you are more connected with your environment than you've ever been before. You're stronger. Your body has like a little layer of callus all over it. You are like you are starting to really reconnect with who you are as, as a human being, you know, as a part of nature. And I, you know, and then you just roll with that, um, for as long as you can, you know, and you sort of, you sort of ride that strong place as best as you possibly can, because it is a really hard environment to be in. So at some point, 
I want to say like 10 days to two weeks in, you hit another turning point where you like the physical depletion starts setting in. Um, and no matter how much you eat and forage, you are at that point starting to go downhill. And so you have to be aware of that. So it's essential that in those first two weeks, you get your bases covered as best as you possibly can. You know, you make sure that like you've got your fire, you've got your water sources and you have to remember to be like, this is not just a water source for today and tomorrow. This is a water source for this month and next month, you know? And so you have to really like look down the line to, to, to know that like you're setting yourself up for long-term survival success, not just taking care of your basic needs right here and now. So at, at any point, did you have like a surplus where you could like derive because, you know, we wouldn't be here unless like humans actually could like store things, plan things out in the future yeah, and, and then actually be robust enough to, you know, finally think about like actually procreating for example because at that level you're not even I'm, I'm sure your your hormone there's nothing going on about like okay let's get it on or anything like that that's so funny that's a question i get a lot about naked and afraid everyone's like oh man you guys are all just, naked yeah, you must like, be hangry and horny yeah, like, right? <laughs> like I, you guys must be like sneaking off and like doing it in the bushes and you're like um no you're thinking like i want to eat something like yeah man, yeah he's cute let me go take a shower first right i'll catch you later it's like there is just no no, that is not on your priority list at all whatsoever. It's like, it is about bare bones survival. Um, and I've had the opportunity to get to that surplus place, but not on Naked and Afraid, only in other non-televised survival experiences. Okay. Um, because the television aspect is additionally taxing and it is also really impactful to the environment. So it's not just you and your buddies putting yourself out on a primitive, which is something that I've done on and off over the course of my whole life. It is, you have like this entire TV crew and it just, um, you know, you talk about those like ripples in a pond. It just totally impacts the environment so much more. They take showers every night and I love them. I love you all, you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's that not that I don't love the, them. Yeah, the, They're there yeah. to make a TV show, yeah. you know, and yeah. to give the people at home this experience of seeing what it's like to be out there in this gnarly environment, you know, but it's like... It, it impacts the environment in a different way. So it's like the the animals are out of there, you know, so like your chances of getting lots of fish or big game or anything like that is pretty much out the window, even if you do have the skills to catch that kind of stuff. Because it's like you have this whole crew, you have like 10 people tromping around with cameras and microphones and all that kind of stuff. And so it just really affects the environment um, in a way that you... You... It's, it's definitely different because you know the real situation there wouldn't be any like i mean that any of that technology any extra people totally. any like cameras and yeah right yeah so it's... you had to like play like two worlds at the same time right you totally so do. that that's also like a factor that will deplete you mm -hmm. energetically i'm sure yeah absolutely and you know i have to say that the the crews who are making these shows are super respectful they are like so respectful and so understanding and like you know like they're trying to be a fly on the wall as much as possible totally yeah. and they're awesome at it they're they're really i like it's been a real honor to work with so many awesome people out there like i definitely have some 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 friends and some solid connections and some great people so like really they're it's been it's been a real honor on all levels you know to be a yeah, part of that without them like we wouldn't have this like sort of reawaken 
experience to how like our ancestors lived totally right so it's like okay we're swinging like so far the other end of technology that we're right. like losing touch of ourselves which is part of nature right totally. so technology is amazing this is amazing right yeah. at the same time like you know there is that aspect of ourself that is rediscovered when we're in nature totally and um so okay like hmm <laughs> it's so much like going on there um what was like the most challenging moment during that like 40 day period the most challenging moment is probably when you hit day 21 because you've made it 21 days before and you realize on day 21 of 40 days that you are basically starting a naked and afraid challenge all over again all over again you're you're just beginning you were just beginning yeah like you just did what three weeks you got another three weeks like it's like the start seems so far behind you and the end seems so far in front of you and you're just in the middle of it and like you know you are skinny and hungry and naked and it's it's really hard in those middle days it's also hard towards the end like the last week of the 40 days was really challenging you know cuz then like the end is in sight it's in sight yeah and but it's like you want to stay engaged because you want to keep eating and drinking and taking care of yourself but it's like you also like so easy to like lose focus and momentum right totally right and so really staying actively engaged has been one of the big things i think that's been one of my big learning lessons from naked and afraid is to like you know, we always say out there, embrace the suck. You just got to embrace the suck, you know, but really to remember every single day of my life to be totally 100% engaged, you know, because all of a sudden, whether it's in naked and afraid or in life, like all of a sudden it's over and you're getting picked up and you're going back to the default world and, and it's over and all that suck is behind you and all those challenges are behind you and all of those victories are behind you and it's in the past and you're about to go take a shower and put your clothes on and eat a sandwich and you better hope that you made really good decisions with the time that you were out there. Like you better hope that like you lived every day to the fullest and that you worked your hardest to like get as much food and to stay as much in the thrive state as you possibly could. And then I always think like, this is that metaphor for life, right? Cause at the end of the day, like we're all going to be laying there on our deathbed and there's not going to be any time in front of us and it's all going to be behind us. And I just want to make sure that I'm like, wow, I used every day to its fullest. I lived it. I soaked it up. I relished in the, in the mountaintops. I had so much fun in the peaks. And when I was in the shit trenches, I was there too. And I was there a hundred percent, you know, and it's like, that's how, that's how we want to live our lives. And I feel like, I mean, that's my greatest takeaway from Naked and Afraid. So that's cool. Um, so when you were like deep in it, that, that 21 day mark, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you needed to stay focused. And it's hard to because you're obviously, you know, starving and yeah. thirsty and yeah. tired. And um, was that a point where like you really had to double down on your like focus? Because I could see things going completely like errant and wrong, dangerous, like where you, you I don't know if you cut your finger during that point or um, 
you know, something could happen where you make a, a horrible decision or, or you're just not there because you're not focused and yeah. something bad happens. Yeah. Will, so, you know, at that halfway mark, like that 20 day mark, um, I was with a group of other people, which was really cool. Um, and so what we kept doing is we just kept making a plan. So we would, we would be like, okay, we're going to get up early and we're going to gather mangoes. And then you're going to go fishing. I'm going to be on firewood. He's going to gather, like, he's going to gather grasses so that we can redo our mats. Like, I'm going to do this. You're going to do that. And we all have our little to-do lists and our check checklists. And so, and I think this is important when we're in any challenging situation is sometimes you just take it down to like those very simplest little things. Like, okay, I have to get out of bed and I have to brush my teeth and I have to leave the house. Right. And you know, like, when you're in those challenging spots in your life, like sometimes you just have to like, you got to take care of just the little stuff. Yeah. Get the little successes in. Totally. Yeah. And, and that's really, build on that. yeah. And that's what naked and afraid is really all about. It's about these little victories. You know, you, people laugh at us on TV. Like we'll be like eating minnows, like these little tiny fish like this. And we're like, Oh yeah, we're eating minnows, you know? And people are like, for real, that has seven calories. But that's a little victory right there. That's seven more calories than you had before, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, and that's what it is. Like anytime life feels big and overwhelming or dark and scary or whatever, it's like, okay, just what's the next step? Like, what's just that one little thing that I need to do to take that next step? Like, is it, you know, is it eat something good? Is it take care of yourself? Is it call your mom? Whatever. You know, it's like, just keep taking those, those little baby steps until eventually like you get you you get out of it you get back into the light yeah so. okay so there's this other scenario now another variable that you're throwing into where things a lot of times go wrong for like humans and tribes uh -huh. is because now like you're so tired naked and afraid and um you have disagreements on what to do next or someone's now holding their weight pulling their own weight mm -hmm. and there's like the sort of like a coup d'etat that possibly could happen which will lead to even more disasters because no one's working together totally they're all like bickering yep yeah we struggled with that a little bit we definitely struggled with that the the like you know the way it works is you kind of start out on your own and then you find some more people a couple days later and you keep going until you find more people and you'll eventually all group up and and towards the end of our 40 day um the I don't yeah, know what's yeah, going on yeah, over here. Something's like, going on. Is this there? like the, the yeah. fat machine making the fat nut bunny? Yeah, they're um, making some fat bombs right I now. Love it. So good. Um, yeah, like we we struggled with that. You know, we we struggled to um, to stay graceful and kind to one another. You know, and it yeah. was it was really hard. And there was definitely some some ugly, challenging moments. You know, you see it on TV, of course. You see the ugly stuff on TV. You know, and then you see some of the resolutions. You know, my original partner, a guy named Jeff, um, like he he was he was teamed up with another guy on our forty day one, and like those two were on their own mission. And you know, there was a little bit of bad blood between those guys, and like some of the like the rest of us and you know there was it was it was really interesting because i like to keep really positive relations with all my people even if like i don't agree with you or don't necessarily see eye to eye with you like i feel like one of my great strengths and one of the things i pride myself on is being able to work with anybody you know and being able to 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 stay amicable with people even if i don't get along with them and you know we got to that place where it was just kind of ugly and funky and 
you know, like towards the end there, like, like there was definitely, there was, there was some anger. There was some like, just people, people just get tired. Like talk about hangry. That is like next level hangry, you know, Mm -hmm. in normal life, like, like you miss lunch and you're like screaming and yelling and having a little hissy fit. Yeah. You're flipping out in traffic. Totally. Totally. Like try 40 days of not eating anything more than like a mouthful of food. It's like, it really pushes you, you know, it really pushes you. And it's, you know, it's, it, you 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 get down to like that real core primal you get into like this real survival mode and like sometimes it's like it's like that eat or be eaten kind of mentality takes mm-hmm. over and it's really it's it's not pretty but it's real it's something that's really inside of us and do you think that um you know that's what's going on with like society in some sense because you know even though we're not in the forest or we're in the the bushes per se like people are still operating out of that sort of mentality despite all the abundance around us like we don't realize like how abundant and how blessed and lucky we are totally totally i that's that's a big that's a big thing that's like a big yeah because like as soon as you like are done now you have this like a massive appreciation for life and the things that like you didn't have in the bush right I think, you know, I feel like we're, we're maybe in a particularly ugly phase in humanity right now. I don't know that we're always at our best, especially in dealing with each other. I think there's a lot of like, there's a lot of anger and a lot of ugliness going on in the world right now. Um, and I think that if that's happening, it's because we are perceiving a sense of lack, you know, even in a world where like, I mean, we throw away more food every day than like, you know, I mean, what's the statistic where it's like, if, if we just saved like a fraction of the food we threw away every day in America, we'd be able to feed the whole world 10 times over something like that. You know, it's like, why, why are we perceiving this sense of like, like lack and it's got to come from some sort of disconnect with ourselves, you know, and that's probably where some of the anger and the animosity and like just the general cultural dissonance that's going on in the world right now is coming from. And I don't know what the answer is. Probably mm-hmm. everybody should go. Yeah, I mean, some some people like (laughs) speculate that is, you know, from your upbringing, your environment with your parents, whether you had parents or not, or just one or none or, or then you go into school and they're like teaching you how to become a worker, you know, and then, uh, and then you get out of school and now you have to like, figure out how to like make ends meet totally you know and then there's all these different things that sort of set you up for fear mode Mm -hmm. and lack and then all of a sudden you get the media right that's showing you like products and you're like oh wow if i get to be at that status i'm gonna like make it and i can just like totally chill and you know and and then there's people that reach that status where that's not even enough so that they're like 10 exit or 100 exit totally and yeah yeah it's a it's a challenging time i feel like we're sort of in a shifting time right now i feel like like there's a lot of stuff coming at us and i feel like as humans like it's our responsibility right now to be the bigger person to be like the best version of ourselves but i don't know that collectively we're actively doing that you know I like to think that we all have it in us to really be wonderful, great, amazing versions of ourselves. But I don't know that as, as, as a, 
as a species as a whole, we're, we're at our finest right now. I feel like we could all do a little bit more to be a little less selfish and more selfless and a little kinder and a little more yielding. But I don't know. I mean, we're not, we're not rewarding that kind of behavior right now, especially in America. You know, it's like, it's like the bullies and the bad guys and the jerks are being rewarded, you Mm -hmm. know, and like the people who are kind and soft and open kind of get trampled on, I think sometimes. So it's like, how do you walk that line, you know, of being like strong, but soft. Right. And like, that's, that's that flow state too. It's like, how do you be really flexible, but really strong at the same time? You like water, my friend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you and I've traveled so much and we've seen like sort of, at least for me, I've seen the, the most, the biggest slum in the world in Mumbai, you know, it's just like 20 million people in a slum and, and, um, it's just, and then I seen like Skid Row in Los Angeles or like, uh, even New York City or whatever. But it's, it's so frustrating because even driving here to come to Flagstaff, I stopped in a place. I don't want to name the city, but I was like, holy shit, like this still happening in America, you know? And, and when I get a lot of cool perspectives, like seeing these places around the world. And yet these people are so resourceful with what they have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, and a lot of times they're actually happier than the people I've seen that have everything here. And it's just really wild to see kids in Bali have like sticks and stones for toys and they're having a blast. Right. And then the kids here are like freaking out because they can't get like whatever the latest toys. I'm like so out of the loop with that. Totally. But, but yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's just wild why people are now like, even getting pissed at like immigrants or something and they they come from places where now they have freedom here and they just fully take advantage of it and then the people that live here are like jealous of that and it's just it's just pretty crazy like how us humans are until like something hits us in the head or you're in a crisis moment yeah and then you're like oh shit yeah yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, it's crazy times right now. It's super crazy times. I wonder, you know, I think about this sometimes, like, I wonder, like, like as a collective, like in my lifetime, are we going to see some sort of collective rock bottom, you know, like, cause it's like, if that's what it takes us as individuals to, to change our ways, like, I don't know. I don't know if humanity's there yet. Like, I don't yeah, know. I've wondered that too, because like our, relatives or let's say are like maybe our parents were just at the uh, after world war ii right and Mm -hmm. then our grandparents and then the great grandparents like they've all had like adversity with war right and we've just had this sort of period where yeah there was 9-11 but that was just that one-off thing right we never actually had like a sense of being attacked right right and so 9-11 was beautiful because it did like sort of unite the country for Mm -hmm. a little bit and then you know everybody starts getting soft again right Right. and like um it was a cool time to be in new york during that period right Right. it was like wow i've never seen new york so collectively united totally and uh now it's like you know we just take it for granted so Mm -hmm. um when you came out of the the second um naked and afraid well, I'm sure the first one too. What was the feeling like now that you're 
reintegrating uh, back into the world that we live in because we talked about this last night yeah. and how important this is. Could even like uh, people that are in prison mm-hmm. um, or veterans coming into civilian life, there's, there's not really this uh, support or after support uh, integrating back into life. And this includes transformational workshops, like weekend workshops totally. where you're like, super high and then monday rolls around you're back in your old environment like what do you do right right i yeah so i always say it takes three days to get into that space and then for me it takes about three weeks to come out of that you know like it is a slow process of reintegrating because you know i feel like so many different things things are happening on so many different levels like for one your perspective is so shifted right from any experience like that you know you're seeing the world through a completely new lens you have worked exclusively with a close-knit group of people and now those people are gone so like you've got you've got all these different layers going on you come back to a world that hasn't changed at all since you've been gone uh you come back to a group of people who know that you haven't been there and they love and support you but they have no fucking clue what you've been through you know like and like you come back and you're expected to just roll right back into it and there's something about going from this world the default world the world of technology and 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 whatever into the natural world where that shift happens really naturally and really easily but then returning from that natural, easy world. I mean, it's funny for me to say that after I just talked about how hard it is, but it really is you're in your most natural state in that place. And then coming back to this is when, is when things are really hard to get your head around where like, you know, you, you know, you don't necessarily have a support system. You don't necessarily have daily resources. You're expected to just be like the same as you were before. But how can you be the same when like your mind has been expanded? You've been stretched to new proportions. You're not going to just go back to being the person that you were before this survival experience, before this combat experience, before this prison experience, before this transformated transformation experience, you know, whatever that may be, you know, and like, it, I, I, this is really a topic that I'm wanting to explore more and to dig more and more into. It's like, why are we so elastic when we go into something, but so brittle when we want to come back? And it just makes me think that there's something unnatural and that there's something extremely challenging about coming back into this world as the default world, you know? And like, we, we don't necessarily have the survival skills that we really need to, to work well in this world. You know, we have a bunch of learned mechanisms, a bunch of learned behaviors, a bunch of artificially created walls that we need to put up in order to function in this kind of society. And I think, um, yeah, and like most people are like, they don't know what they don't know. But right. once you know, and you go into something and you can see that people are pretty much asleep and they're right. in like the, in the cog of the machine pretty much. And then you have that contrast of, uh, different experiences, right? So, um, people get that through extreme exertions and like competition sport or being out in nature like you were or war. Mm-hmm. And then they actually miss. When they go back into society, they actually miss prison. They miss being in war. Um, not because, you know, cause that, those places are familiar. I guess that even goes to like, um, like 
people like let's say women getting physically abused in their like relationships like totally it's it's so scary now to like go back into that world especially if it doesn't feel natural to you anymore right and and you're like why is everybody complaining about that they have no idea so i'm sure there's a party that gets like irritated Mm -hmm. when you see somebody like maybe throwing food away or um i remember that's why my grandfather was so hard on us because he was a pow and you know he lived on like barely a bowl of rice a day you know and had malaria and berry berry all this stuff so he just was frustrated like interacting in the civilian world i've had my special force friend he's also uh, used to being operating at a certain level where everybody works as a team they like communicate and what they say they do they do they execute and then you go back to this world and some people say they're going to do this but it takes them like forever they they don't do it or they don't own their words so right yeah, I don't I, I think it's I think it's a topic worth exploring. Like I think that there's a lot of I like I was just saying this yesterday. This is like something that I want to write an article on. I really want to get into some of the meat of this and I want to talk to some people who've had different experiences. I like that idea of like comparing like like the veteran perspective with, you know, the like transformative weekend workshop perspective with you know, the survivalist perspective with, you know, like I think about people who even like walk the Appalachian trail or ride their bicycles across the country, things like that. Like, I feel like, like these sort of long journeys that we put ourselves on or like these environments that we put ourselves in, how do you come back and how do you come back gracefully? And how do you come back to this big world with the perspective that like you can now share and grow and build your experience? You know, like how do you get yourself to a point where you're ready to, to, I mean, I just, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this stuff because it's such a big topic, but it's like, um, I find like, for example, like where's the middle ground where how can you have harmony between like the natural world and the technology? Because mm-hmm. I love technology too. Totally. Um, and it's so easy to get addicted to that, uh, which a lot of people are now and they're not like interfacing socially. Like right. uh, there's just this, I don't know, it's, it's being lost and it's like we need to rediscover what it's like to like connect, to mm-hmm. communicate and, and in person, not just texting or, totally. or you know, um, on the, I mean, I like phones good, but um, there's more like uh, data coming in in person. Mm-hmm. That's why I do this show in person, right? right. Um, I can't do the Skype thing. It's, it's, it's cool because it logistically it works, but right. there's so much missing. Um, and that's, that's where we can go even more like esoteric. It's just, there's something like enriching and deep, like being in person. Totally. And, you know, and then harmonizing with technology where we're using it as Archimedes lever. So then we don't have to spend like, you know, then pretty much what, 18 hours of the day or whatever, just to find food. And like, like that's the beauty of technology is that now we have these systems in place where Mm -hmm. we don't have to like spend the entire day, like trying to survive. We could actually go and self-actualize. Totally. Yeah, needs to be like that springboard for evolution as opposed to that thing that like pulls us down to like some sort of rudimentary version of ourselves, you know, like I, yeah, I, I think just staying connected to people. I'm such a people person. Like I, you know, I, I always say that I just kind of suck at technology. Like I'm, I'm just not that good at it, you know, like, and I think about people who are like 
very much like these public figures and like they have this great online social presence and they're like so good at posting things and interacting with their online people. And I'm like, you know, people will be like, where's your YouTube channel? I'm like, really? Like, I like I'm a people person. Like I know everybody in town. Like I I I talk to my mom every week. You know, it's like I like I I crave human connection. I love human connection, and I think it's so important. I think it's one of the things that keeps us healthy and balanced. And you know, we just have to remember to 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 stay in that space. It's really really essential. Yeah, I had that same issue with like social media and like trying to like run a sort of platform Mm -hmm. and it's cool because it's like for the first time in history like we can actually have our own media company right right and but that that's same tokens like now you have all these extra responsibilities and you talked about having a certain amount of bandwidth where if you really enjoy being in this world and not so much the virtual world it's so hard to like you know do that for me i'd rather have uh, hire a bunch of people who like doing that to, to outsource that. Um, but in the beginning, it's like, okay, we have to kind of do this. And, right. and um, so there's like upsides and downsides, obviously. Totally. Um, I just think that like for me, I'm like just naturally a person that needs to be alone most of the time. Uh-huh. But I do love people too. And so – I've found over time I've just gotten better uh, socially. Cool. And uh, um, what's it like for you um, being that like people person that can work through problems and communicate? Like, but the other people in that naked and afraid show were like not as effective at communicating. And it's like you're you're doing your best, but they're not maybe they they just don't have the skills to do that like what's going on where when are you frustrated and two um what's going on with the others where they can't like effectively like work together can yeah geez i don't know that's i i don't i don't always claim to be the best communicator in the whole wide world i think um you know like it's it's for me, effective communication starts from listening and perceiving. And so very often, like, I want to just sort of be quiet in that moment where like, if somebody's mad or angry or frustrated or whatever, like my default is first and foremost, to shut my mouth and try and really get a sense of like, where somebody's coming from. That said, it's, you know, when when you get to the point where you're just so depleted and so bare bones, sometimes you just don't have the grace, the patience, the elegance, the capacity. Totally. And you just want to be like, you know what? I'm working my ass off out here. We all need to be working our ass off out here. And that's the long and short of it. And if somebody's not doing that, then it's really hard to, to empathize, to sympathize, to connect with that person anymore. Like all of a sudden, like if somebody isn't pulling their weight in a survival situation, you just like they, you just kind of like, it's very animalistic. You kind of just shun them, you know? And it's like, cause I mean, animals do that. Like if they're not being an active part of the, the herd or the group or the pack or whatever, you know, like the other animals just kind of push them out. And I feel like I see that uh, as human beings 
in a survival situation, even in the modern world, you know, it's like, it's like if somebody's like not vibing with your crew, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, you're just not really part of this. Like you're operating on a whole different level right now, man, you know, and it's like, we just sort of do this like sort of self-selecting thing, you know, and we kind of like begets like, and we want to hang out with people who are like functioning on our level, you know, and like, like resonating on our level. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's just part of being human, right, you know, and right. it's not always pretty, I think is the long and short of it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because sometimes you can't just have like a cultish type of thing either, where you need somebody to have a different perspective. And I know that context is different with survival. Mm -hmm. um, but with the other sort of like hanging out with the same kind of groups of people, it's fun and like it's easy, but it goes into like maybe we need another person to sort of challenge our mm -hmm. viewpoints and like maybe help us evolve where we don't get like locked in a dominant. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, it's... I don't, I think the thing with those survival scenarios is that you're just like, you just get so worked, you know, you just get so tired. And it's like, you know, earlier on in this, in our conversation, I was saying like, you know, like if you're a mom and you put a lot of time into being a mom or like you're, you know, you have a job that you put a lot of time into your job, like you have to remember to peel off that time for yourself. And if you don't take care of yourself first and foremost, you can't take care of anybody else. And I think a lot in the survival world, as much as I like to think that I'm like such a group person, a team player, like it makes me think like, wow, how much of my survival is just me taking care of myself first and foremost, you know? And you, it takes so much just to keep yourself hydrated, alive, breathing, eating, warm, dry, that you're like, you just don't have the energy to, to do that for anybody else, you know? And it's like, I think that's something that comes back into our regular lives. If we don't take care of ourselves first and foremost, we can't take care of our, our, our mothers, our kids, our friends, our family, you know? It's like, you have to be constantly replenishing yourself and realize that that's okay. Like, that's not bad. It's not being selfish. It's, it's, it's about being self-nurturing, you know? And it's about being self-supportive and like, cause first and foremost, you can have the best family, the best support network in the whole wide world the best group of friends, whatever it may be. But if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't honor and respect yourself, first and foremost, you got nothing. At what point does like in, in that situation of the show, did someone uh, like maybe eat more than the group? Like they just, they were just like, screw it. Fuck it. I'm going to eat. I'm going to be selfish here. And then everybody else noticed. I was like, what the heck did that ever happen? Cause I, I hear stories like that in survivor situations. Yeah. You see it. You definitely see it. And like, you definitely will see like the person like sneaking food, you know, in naked and afraid and in other survival scenarios that I've been in, like, you'll see that person, like, like put that thing into their mouth and then offer everything, offer something to everybody else. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, you have to decide like, okay, do you call that person out in that moment? Or like, do you let it slide? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, and that's a big decision. Yeah. You know, you'd be like, whoa, dude, you just like put half the lizard in your mouth and now you're passing it around. Right. 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 It's, or someone ate like all their entire ration. Right. And then now they're expecting everybody else to like support them. Totally. Totally. So I just had a survival situation in a location that I'm not going to talk about, but I just got back from it not that long ago. I'll be able to talk about it more freely soon. But so we were in this 
really bountiful, plentiful place. And um, it was by the ocean and I'm allergic to shellfish. So one of my biggest fears going into this survival scenario is that what am I going to do with the fact that I'm allergic to shellfish and now I'm going to be with a group of other people and I can't eat the easiest to get most low hanging fruit situation. And like I was like, it put me in this place of feeling like potentially be the weakest link in this scenario. And so what I did in that situation is I was like, listen guys, I need you to know that like there's a lot of stuff out here that I can't eat. And it was so cool. My, like the people that I was with were like, dude, no worries. Like, like we are going to do this thing together. We're going to come at this whole challenge where everybody is committed from the first day to the last day, 100%. And it became this non-issue, but it's because I think I was so forward and forthcoming with the fact that like, I'm coming into this with, with a handicap, with a deficit, you know what I mean? And like, it was really cool to be that, to be in that position. Yeah. You came out uh, openly vulnerable. And I'm not going to like bitch and moan. Like if somebody gets to eat a snail and I don't get to eat a snail, I'm not going to be like mad and pissy because somebody's eating a clam and I can't eat a clam. Like I'm just going to suck it up in that moment. And like, you know, I'm not going to expect that anybody's going to do anything special for me. Um, but I just have to realize like my challenge might be more of a challenge than somebody else's. And so it was really cool being in that position. It was awesome. That's cool. Um, let's start wrapping this up. So I got two more final, like, uh, questions like what Bring it on it, home. yeah what was it like eating bugs oh. <laughs> i don't eat a lot of bugs i only or, or like you know i mean obviously whatever was available in nature yeah. so like a lizard like yeah whatever what, what were you eating oh man so i've eaten some weird stuff i don't eat a lot of weird creepy bugs because bugs can make you sick it's like don't wipe your butt with a plant that you don't know what it is because you might have poison ivy on oh. your ass right it's yeah. like so you don't want to just go popping bugs into your mouth right so you want to know so the bugs that i've eaten include grubs which are really smushy i like them toasted better um crickets I also, what, what does that taste like um just sort of like i don't know sort of like gooey proteiny <laughs> i don't know like it's nothing it, to compare to huh? no like yeah. if you've eaten like i don't know like if you eat like mealworms or stuff like that so if i've had like cricket yeah, yeah so crickets like are cricket bars you know totally so yeah, like that was kind of nutty yeah yeah and crickets are great you can toast them open the over the fire and they're awesome they taste just like burnt popcorn it's they're great um i've definitely eaten a lot of lizards you know i always take the guts out and you eat their little legs and whatever. Lizard's really tasty. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of lizard. Is that similar to frog? Uh-huh. It's a lot like frog. Oh, okay. So it's like a little, like a little chickeny, a little, I don't know, lizardy. It's its own special thing. Snake, yeah. same deal. Fish. Um, I'm trying to think of like the weirdest things that I've eaten. And like, I mean, for some reason, like reptiles are just easier to catch. Okay. They're easier to catch than mammals. You know, I've eaten like squirrel, okay. rat, mouse, stuff like that. Those are great because those taste like those taste like real meat. Real you know? meat. Okay. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Rodents, they're the next easiest to catch after the reptiles, I think. Um, but you know, when you're in that scenario. Anything that's like real calories just tastes good, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that you you can't overlook is the plant food, you know? It's like, if you have coconuts, you are so set. You are so good to yeah, go. Yeah, now you got the fats in mm-hmm. there for sure. And so that's huge. And like, you know, like some of those plant foods, like mangoes, like when I was in Colombia, we had a ton of mangoes, which was awesome, you know, because okay. that's sugars. That'll just keep like the basic yeah. metabolic functions rolling. And so, yeah, 
but it's weird, you know. It's funny how excited you can get about like a, a three calorie lizard leg. That's yeah, like a right. Quarter or, of an inch long. Yeah, or you said that like little like fish, tiny little minnows. Yeah, minnows. Yeah, yeah. That's um, hilarious. So, what about okay? Uh, let's get into this flow state. Yeah, and you're talking about last night with dinner about riding motorcycles, right? And how that just really just zones you in to totally. the present moment. I love that. Yeah. Motorcycling has really been, it's been a real like life changing thing for me. It's so cool. I, you know, I got my motorcycle license when I was in my early twenties and kind of on and off. I had motorcycles, but in the last few years, it's really just sort of stolen my heart and like become like my main passion. You know, it's, um, like it's so simple. And I think what I love about motorcycle travel is that it becomes really elemental. You're, if it's cold and wet and windy and rainy out, you're cold and wet and riding through the wind and rain. You know, if it's hot, you're hot. If, if you're off road and something's challenging, you're working through these really challenging technical environments. Like, you know, and then when you're cruising, you're cruising, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, so it's all raw and real that way. Okay. Yeah. Raw. And I said that a lot of times. Those are two of the main words that I use with motorcycling. It is raw. It is real. You know, you have like, you, you've got this giant motor between your legs. Yeah. It's like, that is like some raw power right there. Yeah. That's awesome. Motor between your legs. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you're like, you, feel everything basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And you can't hide from it. You know, it's like when you're traveling on it, like everyone wants to talk to you about your motorcycle and like you get off the bike at a gas station and like, you know, you're right there. You know, you can't seal yourself up inside your car and roll up your windows and not talk to anybody. You are really like making a commitment to connect with your environment in a different way. And I think especially... I Maybe not especially being a woman, but especially being a woman, you know, it's like people... All stereotypes, over. yeah. Totally. They're always like, oh my God, look at that girl on a motorcycle. Look at that girl on a motorcycle. And it's cool. It's a novelty thing for people and they ask questions and they want to know about my bike. My bike's like this big black motorcycle and is awesome. Like, and like you were saying earlier, like you're just being you. Everybody mm -hmm. else puts the label on you, right? Because totally. I asked the question, but I asked it because I knew like people were thinking that way. Yeah. You know, I know that you're just expressing yourself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Motorcycling is special too in that it's one of the only things in the world that is transportation, very practical, um, recreation. It's a sport. It's fun. It's a blast, but it's also, um, an identity statement. It's, it's us making a definition about who we are, what we ride, how we spend our time. And so there's very few other things that are as practical, as fun and recreational and as identifying as riding a motorcycle. And it's, it's cool. Like it's really cool to be, a part of a culture like that and to be a part of a part of a part of a culture you know it's like i'm a girl who rides motorcycles there's all these badass ladies riding motorcycles now it's so cool you know and it's like i ride an adventure bike and there's all these badass people riding adventure bikes but at the end of the day we're all riding motorcycles and we're all a part of like this thing that i feel like is like touching like the american dream and it's so it's so cool Wow, I can't wait to ride myself. Yeah, <laughs> I've actually ridden before on like a dirt bike, uh -huh. and that was exhilarating. Mm -hmm. That was incredible. Yep, all this stuff that's happened, everything from um, you know the naked and afraid experiences, like riding motorcycles, being like a creative artist, um, working with women, like all your experiences, life. Like, what's next for you? 
Ooh, gosh, great question. Everything's really fun and exciting right now. I'm, uh, I've been working as an event planner for the last year or so and like engaging in these really cool events, whether it's with the F-bomb guys who I love so much, you know, or like doing something like Paleo FX or Ragnar Relay and like, like helping do brand activations with those guys or working with, I work with um, an organization called the Overland Expo, which is all about adventure travel and overland vehicle travel. And they're so cool. And then doing my own events here in Flagstaff. Like I do a lot of stuff with charity. I have a, a veteran charity that we just started here in Flagstaff. It's called, um, it's called ABV. It stands for Arizona Breweries and Veterans. And so we run craft beer events. 100% of the proceeds all goes to veterans initiatives in Northern Arizona. So we've got that going on. We just got our 501c3 status for that. So that's super cool. I do stuff with the local humane society. Um, I, I, you know, I've been, I really just love doing anything that involves engaging with my community and being able to give back at the same time and create a really positive, fun experience for people. So that's what it's all about. Eva Rupert events. I have my own LLC now. It's really oh, cool. Oh, that's awesome. So <laughs> yeah. Eva, uh, how can people like follow you like on social media or your website? Yeah. So I'm rolling out a new website. It's evarupert.com. It's, uh, it, should be out in the next couple of months, but you can go evarupert.com, simple, straightforward, all one word. And then on Instagram, which is my favorite social media, is August Eva. I've got Twitter, Eva underscore Rupert. Uh, Facebook, of course, Eva Lynn Rupert, Eva Rupert. Just find me, look me up. It's Rupert with one P. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on this show. I purposely like ended it a little earlier just because I, I can't wait to have you on again. This You're is, invited to yay, come back. I can't <laughs> wait. Angry and horny, yay. Well, this has been such a treat. Thank you so much, Tony. Like I've heard so many great things about you and it's such a great time having well, an awesome thank conversation. You so much. Yeah. Thanks for all your great, intuitive, wonderful questions. Thank you. And everybody, thanks for listening and watching. And uh, yeah, until next time. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Holy shit, that was an awesome episode with Eva Rupert. Eva, thank you so much for taking the time to come on to Hangry and Horny and share your experience of being in the bush as a human being, surviving and thriving through it despite the challenges. That's super inspirational and motivational. Hopefully, we can take lessons on that and how to live a better life in our modern era. So thank you, Eva. Everybody check out evarupert.com. Follow her on Instagram and all of her social media uh, places. Um, and uh, yeah, that was awesome. I'd like to thank F-Bomb Nut Butters for sponsoring Hangry and Horny. Check out dropanfbomb.com. Check out their nut butters. They're all macadamia-based nut butters that are just clean, fat, sexy, and easy to digest, delicious fuel on the go. And use the code word, promo code word, FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and get 20% off your first order. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like this show, please subscribe. Even leave a uh, feedback, uh, you know, the five stars, four stars, whatever you feel is a good 
feedback for me to improve this show. I really appreciate it. You can do that on iTunes. Also, this show is also available on YouTube if you want to watch it. And uh, yeah, really thank you and for listening. Thank you for your support. And can't wait to share the next episode. So have a great one, you guys. And peace out.